Welcome to Frontline Church, South Oklahoma City's podcast page, where each week we will upload a new sermon uh, from our current sermon series that we're in. If you have uh, any questions, concerns, um, or have a prayer request or need, you can email us at hello at frontlinechurch.com or visit our website, south.frontlinechurch.com. Thanks. for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 25. The word of God speaks to us. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, He will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Thanks, babe. I don't say that to all the scripture readers, by the way. Just 
just the one I'm married to. Uh, good morning. Hey, it's good to be with you this morning. If we've not met, my name is Andrew. I get to serve as one of our pastors here at Frontline. Uh, it's good to be with you today. Hey, do me a, a favor real quick. If you have your Bible with you or your device or whatever you use to read scripture off of, go to 1 Corinthians 14 real fast so you can be there with me, 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, just a, a couple of things as we, as we jump in today. Uh, man, if you're new to church, you've been out of church for a while and this is your first time, I just want to say it's an, it really is an honor for us to have you with us today. You do not have to uh, believe what we believe. You don't have to uh, uh, come in without questions. Like, I actually want to say to you, bring your questions, bring your doubts. We don't claim to have all the answers, but we are committed to wrestling with the claims of Jesus and to wrestling with your questions with you. So any ways that we can do that, we would be honored to do that. It's good to have you with us today. Um, all right, is everybody in 1 Corinthians 14? All right, look, look down in there. I know it's on the screen, but look down in there. Okay, good. So what we read is in your Bible too. How bizarre is that? How bizarre is that, that it's actually in your Bible? We're going to talk about it. I just want to make sure that you knew that we didn't make this up. Today, we are talking about the gift of tongues. And if you're just visiting with us and you're nervous about that, I want to assure you that you are not nearly as nervous as whoever invited you to our church today. They're like, why did I invite this person today of all days, right? But here we are. So a couple of introductory comments as we jump into chapter 14. Uh, first, I've been preaching the Bible weekly for a little over 15 years now, and this is the second time, if you include today, that I've preached a whole sermon on tongues. And I say that to say that uh, not that this gift doesn't matter. I actually think it matters a lot. I think it's a good gift. I think it's a beautiful gift. But it's just not the most important thing to our church. Like, this isn't some weird obsession that we have. This isn't some hobby horse that we have. This isn't something that we're fanatics about. Um, if you want to know what we're fanatics about, if you want to know what we're obsessed with, if you want to know what the main thing is for us at Frontline, it's that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried according to the scriptures and that he was raised from the dead on the third day and he will return to right all wrongs and to remake this world and to judge the earth. That that's what we believe. That's the main thing. Amen? So tongues are a gift. Tongues matter. Uh, but they're just way down the list. And the reason we're taking a whole sermon to talk about this is because, as you know, we've been working our way through the letter of 1 Corinthians. This is our 30th week to study this letter. We happen to find ourselves in chapter 14. What Paul is doing in chapter 14 is highlighting specifically two gifts, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. So we're going to take two weeks to talk about this topic. The first week today, we'll talk primarily about tongues, and next week we will talk primarily about prophecy as we work our way through the first 25 verses. The second thing I want to do before we jump in is just to give you a few different recommended readings um, on this on not just this topic, but all the topics that we've been talking about in chapters 12 through 14 on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The first is uh, one of the best books out there, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts by Sam Storms. This is a really, really helpful book. Uh, Sam is a good friend of ours, a good friend of mine personally. He discipled me. He uh, was one of my mentors, poured into me. Just a real blessing, not just to me, but to the church at large. He's a scholar. He was a professor at Wheaton College and Seminary. Uh, one of the most brilliant guys that I know, careful with scripture, and wrote this book. If you just are like, I need a good place to start. This is the best book out there 
on understanding spiritual gifts. In addition to that, two books by Jack Deere I want to recommend, Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. Jack Deere was a professor at DTS until he had a dramatic encounter with the Holy Spirit, and then they fired him because of it. And he is still brilliant, but he also writes very helpfully on the Holy Spirit. So this is a great book. The next one by him is Surprised by the Voice of God. This is primarily about the gift of prophecy, about the ways that God speaks to us today. This book is unbelievably good, man. It's so, so good to read. Um, I I would pick that up if you want to grow specifically in understanding the gift of prophecy. Uh, Here's one, another one by Sam, uh, The Language of Heaven. So he wrote a whole book on speaking in tongues. I read it this week and loved it, thought it was great. Uh, It's really thorough. If if you hear this sermon and it produces more questions for you, I would recommend picking this book up and it'll kind of give a whole theology of the gift of tongues. Uh, in addition to that, here's one by Terry Virgo called The Spirit-Filled Church. Terry is a, was a pastor in the UK. He's one of the most godly guys I've ever met, one of the most joy-filled men that I've ever met, and a real blessing to the church. He is what's known as a reformed charismatic, right? So if those words mean anything to you, he's both of those. Uh, this is a very, very good book. I recommend it. Uh, in addition to that, here's one called Spirit and Sacrament by Andrew Wilson. Uh, Andrew Wilson's one of my favorite thinkers alive today. He's out of the UK. And what's fun about this book is he's basically fighting for what we love and value as a church, that you can love the Holy Spirit and love historic liturgy at the same time. And in fact, not only are those not opposed, but they're connected together. It's what he calls eucharismatic, where we want to have a high view of things like communion and the Eucharist and sort of these ancient things that the church has always been about, and also the Holy Spirit and the gifts and the ways that he interacts and works in the church still today. It's a great book. Uh, then if you're like uh, an, an egghead, one of the two or three nerds in the room, and you're like, convince me. Well, first I would say, listen to Aaron Addison's sermon from last week. It was fantastic on why we still believe that the gifts exist. The second thing I do is buy this book. This is Showing the Spirit. D.A. Carson is widely considered to be uh, the leading scholar in the New Testament today. And this is a very heady, uh, nerdy book, but it's a really thorough, really good read. And then the last one, if you want to just kind of grow in general, but also on this topic, this book by Wayne Grudem, An Introduction to Systematic Theology. It's funny, it's 1,100 pages long, and it's an intro to systematic theology. It's like, what's the actual systematic theology? Like, How long is that? I don't know. Um, I've read this book over four times, cover to cover. I don't agree with everything that he says, but he is really thorough and really helpful. And if you're just like, I need categories, get this book. It's great. If you don't read it, it makes a great doorstop at your house. Um, Now, here here are two reasons why I I give you those books. The first reason is I, I just wanted you to have more resources so that you could grow and study and not take our word for it on Sundays, but do your own work and really understand why we as a church embody this and want to fight for this. In addition to that, and maybe the real reason, I wanted to say a couple of things. One is, to let the cat out of the bag, I pray in tongues. And the second thing I need you to know is I can read, right? And that's why I wanted you to see those books. I've read all those books. I can read. I can read and write. Uh, I, I've been able to hold down a job for several years now. I don't drool very often. I, I consider myself to be somewhat of a logical person. I like to think deeply. I can have coherent conversations with people. And I pray in tongues. And so I just want you to know, like, either I'm a walking contradiction or there really is something here to be wrestled with. I can feel the tension in the room. You guys got really weird. Maybe it's because you think I'm really weird. But you got really weird right there. Like, th- this is something I want you to think deeply about. 
that not all of our pastors pray in tongues, but some of us do. And we still believe this gift has been tremendously beneficial for those of us that operate and walk in this gift on a day-to-day basis. All right, all, all jokes aside, all jokes aside, I understand that this can bring some controversy and maybe even some pain. And I want to speak to that real fast. I understand that there's been a, like horrible abuses on both sides of this issue. I've heard horrible stories of teenagers not allowed to get on the bus to go home from student camp until they pray in tongues. You know what that is? That's weird. That is super weird. I heard a story yesterday. Someone said I was a, a little kid at a VBS and the, the leader put their finger in my mouth and did this and was like trying to make me say banana backwards so that I would pray in tongues. That's weird, okay? I'm pretty sure that's also like a violation of a child protection policy somewhere. It's weird. Uh, I, I've, I, I've heard all kinds of stories of people using phrases and saying just recite this phrase and then you'll slowly start to pray in tongues like this one. I bought a Kia, but I should have bought a Honda, right? Have you ever heard that? I I, I bought a Kia, but I should have bought a Honda. And then if you just say that a bunch, like, congratulations, you're praying in tongues, you now have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's weird, okay? Bad weird. That's really, really strange. But to also say this, and this is important to say, I've, I've heard of abuses on the other side as well. I've heard stories of Christians who were mocked for praying in tongues, I've heard stories of people who got kicked out of major seminaries because they theologically believed that this this was still a gift. Or people have been removed from leadership positions or barred from missions organizations. This is a true story from my own life. When I was young, I had planted a church that uh, merged with Frontline in 2014. And when I was 22 years old, I was trying to jump into an organization about church planting. And I won't say their name or who they are, but the only two questions that this certain organization asked me, the only two questions, Questions. They didn't assess my character or my doctrine or my theology or my marriage. They just basically said, do you drink alcohol in moderation and do you pray in tongues? And that was the entry point into either you can be in here or not. And so I said, yes, I do both of those and usually at the same time. I'm kidding, right? That's, that's not what I said. Whatever I said was way snarkier than that because I was 22 and really snarky. Um, but that was like the gate into, I was like, oh, so you, so you want like, like Jesus and Paul plant a church in your organization? That's super cool, you know? Um, so my point is there's abuses on all sides of this topic, and some of you carry some real pain as you approach this. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Do not take the word of God and evaluate it based on your personal experience. Instead, take the word of God and evaluate your personal experience based on this. This stands over us. We don't stand over it. Amen? So in light of that, let's jump in and get after it. Let me give you some context, and then we'll get into chapter 14. Uh, Something is happening in Corinth that shouldn't surprise you if you've been around, but is helpful to know to understand this conversation that they had gotten crazy on spiritual gifts. They had uh, started to create factions and divisions in the church by assuming that because certain people in the church operated in the more demonstrative spiritual gifts, specifically the gift in tongues, uh, praying in tongues, that they were somehow more spiritual than others in the church who didn't pray in tongues. And so it created this faction where they literally started to classify certain people in Corinth as the truly spiritual ones and others as the natural people or people that weren't very spiritual. 
And Paul blows that idea up in chapter 12, if you remember, where he says that it's not a certain spiritual gift that makes a person spiritual. It's not praying in tongues that makes you spiritual. What makes someone spiritual? It's the Holy Spirit's role in your life to get a person to confess Jesus is Lord. So it's not tongues that make you spiritual. It's the confession that Jesus is Lord that makes you spiritual. And Paul blows this idea up that there's different classes and categories of Christians. There's only two types of people in the world, the lost and those who have been rescued from death to life by the Holy Spirit and now say, Jesus is Lord. That's the significant thing that makes us spiritual is that we now have the Holy Spirit living inside of us just because we were dead and we were far from God. Now we're alive and now we confess Jesus as Lord. Now you'd expect Paul to stop there and just say, okay, well, so enough is enough and you're getting crazy with the gifts, so stop using the gifts or at least he would highly discourage uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but Paul doesn't do that. Instead, what Paul does is he writes these words in chapter 14, 1. Notice what he says. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the gifts. Instead of pouring, uh, instead of like pouring water on the fire or pulling the e-brake, what Paul does is he pours gasoline on the fire. He's like, no, press the gas pedal, go further, go faster, go harder after the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul does in chapter 14, it's super helpful and insightful. He juxtaposes the gift of tongues with the gift of prophecy because they had elevated tongues to a level that it never should have been elevated to. And they were minimizing other gifts that were actually more beneficial for the body of Christ as they would gather. Paul is giving a corrective word here, but he's not belittling tongues. He's not even pushing down tongues or saying that it's bad. He's encouraging praying in tongues, but he's putting tongues in its proper place and then showing why prophecy in the context of a gathered church, like what we're doing in this, in this moment right now, prophecy is to be preferred over tongues. So what he does in this juxtaposition between the two sheds a lot of light and insight on how we understand what praying in tongues even is. So in light of that, chapter 14, let's read the first five verses together. Here's what it says. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. We'll talk about that next week. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. Wait, what? Did Paul just say that? Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. So do you see he's not belittling tongues? saying, I want you all to do this, but even more to prophesy. And the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Five questions that I want to quickly examine with you. Here's the first one. What is the gift of tongues? What is the gift of tongues? Well, it's helpful to think of it this way. The Greek word for tongue that's used here in chapter 14 can mean one of two things. The first thing it means is the physical tongue and your mouth. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about your tongue in your mouth. The second thing it means is languages. That is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about languages. So let me give you some working definitions just to kind of 
put some, some meat on the skeleton of this idea. The gift of tongues, says Sam Storms, is simply the spirit-energized ability to pray, worship, give thanks, or speak in a language other than your own or one you learned in school. Super helpful. Here's one from Wayne Grudem, another helpful definition. He says, speaking in tongues is prayer or praise spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker. Here's my own working definition, sort of taken from those two. The gift of tongues is prayer or praise directed to God in a language not understood by the speaker. The gift of tongues is most often a heavenly language, but can be a known human language on occasion. Now, let let me show you where I get that definition from and why I believe that's the case. Look at chapter 14, verse two again. He says, for one who speaks in a tongue, what? What does it say? Speaks not to men, but to who? But to God. So this is not uh, like prophecy where God is speaking to humans. It's actually human speaking to God. And here's what's really crazy. This is not an evangelistic thing that God gives. Often people are told that praying in tongues is a known human language that is evangelistic in in nature. So you might be on the mission field somewhere. You don't know the language. You've never studied the language. And all of a sudden, you know, you start speaking the language. Well, that's that's speaking in tongues. I I don't think that's what speaking in tongues is. think that that's uh, true and those, those stories are real and that happens. I've heard multiple stories from multiple people of that happening on the mission field. I just call that a miracle. It's not praying in tongues because when someone speaks in tongues, they're not speaking evangelistically to people. What does it say? One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. In Acts, there are three occurrences of tongues, and two of the three, there are not even unbelievers present when it happens. So the thought of it being evangelistic is just not taught anywhere in Scripture. So think of it, friends, not as a horizontal thing, but as a vertical thing. It's prayer or praise directed to God. And it's not understood by the speaker. Why would we say that? Well, look at verse 2, the second part of verse 2. He says, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. And then look at verse 13. He goes on. He says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what's happening here with tongues is something that bypasses your brain. You don't know what you're saying. And if you did, then you would, you would not need this gift of interpretation, which, by the way, is maybe the most under-talked-about uh, spiritual gift ever mentioned in the New Testament, the gift of interpretation. So, friends, speaking in tongues is not directed towards people evangelistically. It's prayer or praise directed to God in a language not understood by the speaker. They don't know what they're saying. In addition to that, it's usually not a known human language, like French or Mandarin, or Spanish. It's usually a heavenly language. Why would I say that? Well, look at what Paul says in verse 16. He says, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, we'll talk about that in a minute, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Remember, Paul is in Corinth, a very ethnically diverse port city in which you had a lot of different cultures and a lot of different languages. And what Paul doesn't say is, well, if you pray in tongues, the problem there is that 
an outsider won't know what you're saying unless they speak that language. No, Paul just assumes an outsider won't know what you're saying because it's not a known human language. It can be, but most of the time it's a heavenly language, or as Paul refers to it in chapter 13, an angelic language. This is a language from heaven that God has given to certain people to pray, and it's most of the time not a known human language. Now, there is one exception to that rule in Scripture, and that's Acts chapter 2. And I won't take a lot of time on this, but Acts 2 is the only exception to the rule here. Again, I've said this three times, tongues show up two in Acts. Two of the three, it is assumed that it's not a known human language, but in Acts chapter 2, for redemptive reasons, uh, what happens is a group of Galilean men, the, the Spirit of God is poured out on them, and they start praising and extolling the mighty works of God, is how it says it in Acts chapter 2. So even then, it's not evangelistic. They're praising and extolling the mighty works of God. It would have sounded like reading a psalm, celebrating his power, his goodness, his might, his salvation, right? But what's fascinating about Acts chapter 2 is that what they are saying as they're praising God is heard in over 15 different languages. There's people from over 15 different regions that are present, and they all hear in their own language what's being said. So I actually think this is like a double miracle where they're praying in tongues, but then everybody's hearing in their own language. Why is that? Well, there's redemptive reasons to this. Do you remember in Genesis 11 when humanity built the Tower of Babel to display how powerful we were and to kind of shake our fist at creator God and to say, we don't need you. We can do our own thing and be our own God. And what does God do? He comes down and he judges the people at Babel and he divides them against each other by giving them different languages. Now they don't understand each other. Well, Acts 2 is the reversal of Babel. It's what God is doing to say, I brought judgment in Genesis 11, but this is a sign of me bringing salvation and grace to the world. And in addition to that, what's fascinating is there's all these prophecies in Isaiah and other places about the fractured nation of Israel getting unified and restored again. And here you have all these Jews from all over the, the country, literally all over the world, and they're gathered where? In Jerusalem, which is significant, where the temple is. They're gathered together, and God is pouring out a spirit, and he's unifying the people of Israel as he promised he would do in Isaiah. All that to say, there's reasons why it was known human languages in Acts 2, and generally, it's not a known human language. Now, if you're listening carefully, and I've lost some of you, you've like glazed over, and you're dreaming about street tacos, as I often do. Here's the real question, if you're listening carefully. Why would God give someone the supernatural ability to pray to him in a language that they don't understand? Even if it is a known human language like Mandarin or Spanish or Chinese, like how, how, how do we understand this? That they, they don't understand. Why would God do that? Or another way to say it is, why is the gift of tongues a gift? What's good about it? Well, let me give you a few reasons this is a gift in chapter 14. The first is that it's designed for edification. It's designed for edification. Look at what he says in verse four. He says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, or some translations say edifies him or herself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now again, what Paul is doing is he's not devaluing tongues. He's putting it in its proper place. And he's saying that 
when you prophesy, it's not just good and edifying and beneficial to you. It's good and edifying and beneficial to everybody, to the whole church that's present because everybody can understand it. Tongues is only beneficial and only self-edifying. It only uh, blesses and benefits yourself. Now, sadly, what people have done is they've said, well, that's why tongues are bad. That's why tongues are wrong is because it edifies yourself and we shouldn't be concerned with edifying ourselves. We should only be concerned with edifying other people. And I just think that that logic is backwards and unhelpful, that actually it's not wrong to edify yourself. It's not wrong to build yourself up. In fact, I hope that you spent some time this week as a Christian edifying yourself. I hope that at some point this week you prayed by yourself and you read scripture by yourself to be edified. And maybe on your drive to work, you listen to worship music to be edified in your spirit. I pray that sometimes you listen to podcast preachers that are far better than me so that you can be edified and built up in your faith. In fact, we have a command in the book of Jude to build up and edify ourselves. Here's what it says. It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the, your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, potentially even a reference to tongues, although maybe not exclusively, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Edifying yourself is not bad. It's just not to be preferred in a gathered church context like this when the goal is not just my own personal edification, amen, but the goal is the edification of everybody else. But that's why he gave it, is to edify yourself. And in fact, every time you do anything in a spiritual realm whatsoever that's beneficial to others, it probably is edifying to yourself too. I'm teaching right now. Hopefully this is edifying three or four of you in the room. And I am currently getting edified as I'm doing this teaching gift thing. Every time you walk in a spiritual gift, it edifies yourself and edifies other people, right? Now here's the real question. How is it then that praying in tongues can edify yourself when you don't know what the heck you're saying? How does that even benefit yourself? How does that edify yourself? How does that build yourself up? Well, evidently, the Apostle Paul was not bothered by that question at all. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but what? My mind is unfruitful. Well, what am I to do? I guess I just won't pray in tongues because my mind is unfruitful. The, the, the brain doesn't help me here. So what do I do? No. He says, what do I do? I will pray with my spirit and I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Paul's not bothered. He's like, well, I don't understand what I'm praying when I pray in tongues. So do you know what my solution is? I'll keep praying in tongues and I'll pray in my own native language and I'll just do both. I'll sing in tongues and I'll sing in my own native language. Paul's not bothered by the fact that he doesn't understand it. And I think we as Westerners have a really, really hard time with understanding how something can be personally beneficial and edifying if we don't understand it. Gordon Fee, in his excellent commentary, says this. He says, contrary to the opinion of many, spiritual edification can take place in ways other than through the cortex of the brain. Paul believed in an immediate communion with God by, with, uh, by means of the capital S or lowercase s spirit, either the Holy Spirit or our own spirit, that sometimes bypassed the mind. 
And in verses 14 and 15, he argues that for his own edification, he will have both. Both in church, he will have only what can also communicate to other believers through their minds. So when you're praying in tongues, it's this beautiful thing where your brain is bypassed and it's your spirit or the Holy Spirit of God in you communing directly with God. It's beautiful and it's powerful. In addition to that, it's a unique way to bless God and give thanks. Look at what Paul says in verse 16. He says, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may well be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Again, Paul is contrasting prophecy with tongues. So he's talking about the benefits of prophecy in the gathered church. But when he does this, he's saying some really interesting things about tongues. Like it's a way of thanksgiving or it's a way of blessing God. Here's what's so fun about this. Like, I don't know if you've ever had this moment as a Christian where you are so overwhelmed with gratitude to God. You're so thankful for who he is and you start to tell him thank you and you're like trying to pile up the, the metaphors and the words and the illustrations and, the, and, and you're reaching for things. And then eventually, if you do this long enough, you hit a point as a Christian where you're like, I don't know what to say. I ran out of words. And the gift of tongues is that when that happens, you just bypass that whole deal and go straight to blessing and thanksgiving to God in a heavenly language or in a language that you don't understand. You don't have to worry about pauses and ifs and ands and, and your theology of it and how does this all fit together and what word do I use. You're just exploding with worship and blessing and thanksgiving to God, and that's why tongues is such a gift. Another reason why it's a gift is that it's help in our weakness. Paul says something really interesting in Romans 8 that I don't think is exclusively about tongues, but certainly applies to tongues at a bare minimum. He says this in Romans 8. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever had that experience where you're weary or you're tired or you're suffering or things are so devastating in your life that you literally don't have the words, you don't know how to pray as you ought to pray? And I don't think this has to mean tongues, but I think it applies to tongues. One of the gifts of tongues is that when you get to that place, it's like you don't, you don't have to worry about it. You just pray in this heavenly language that God gives you. I remember when Pastor Sean Evans uh, found out that he was going to have to have open heart surgery and get his aortic valve replaced. And there was like a million other things going on at the time that were hard and difficult. And ministry is a really, really hard time in ministry for me and for my family at the time. And I remember we just spent a lot of that season. I spent a lot of that season just praying in tongues because I didn't know how to pray. So I was like, God, I, just, I, I, need to, I need to speak to you in ways that I don't even know how to speak to you. That's why it's such a gift. I want you to notice something, that the Apostle Paul approached this gift with gratitude. Do you see what he says in verse 18? He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Hey guys, the Apostle Paul spoke in tongues. And this is a fanatic church that had way elevated the gift of tongues. And Paul is saying, I'm, I'm grateful that I speak in tongues more than all of you. How amazing is that? The one who wrote Romans the one who is like the most theologically gifted mind to ever walk the earth outside of Jesus himself says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And then finally, the apostle Paul longed for more Christians to have this gift. Look at verse five. He says, now I want you 
all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. If you could resurrect Paul from the dead and bring him up here right now and say, Paul, what's one of the things that is in your heart for Frontline? He would say, I I want all of you to speak in tongues. I wish all of you could speak in tongues. I I don't think that Paul would say that all of us should or can, but I think Paul is saying, I want all of you to have this gift. This is a good gift that you should desire. And I just want to pause here and say, if your approach to the gift of tongues is one of apprehension, if your approach is one of nervousness, if, if it's one of caution, if it's one of disdain and mockery and making fun of it and belittling it, I want you to understand this, that you are more formed by your weird experiences that you've had than you are by the word of God. And it might even be an invitation for you to see God as a good father who only gives good gifts. Either way, love it or hate it, this is a gift that God created, thought up, and gave to the church. You should value this gift. Maybe you should even desire this gift today. That leads me to the third thing. Are there parameters placed on this gift? Yes. I'll briefly mention three of them. Parameter number one almost never gets talked about, but here it is. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. Don't forbid it. Paul says this in chapter 14, verse 39. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. I want you to know that we as a church, our elders of Frontline, we will not forbid speaking in tongues. To do so, in our opinion, would be disobedience to Scripture and quenching the Holy Spirit. You will never see us forbidding this gift. Parameter number two, limit tongues to two to three people max. Just because we won't forbid it doesn't mean we won't limit it. Notice what Paul says in verse 27. He says, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret So we will always limit tongues on a Sunday morning context to two or three people at most and each of them individually speaking, not everybody speaking at the same time. Paul cares about this. More importantly, the Holy Spirit cares about order. And the final parameter, number three, don't pray in tongues in the gathered church without an interpreter. Says this in verse 28. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Now remember, Paul's talking about, in his context here in chapter 14, the gathered church, what we do here on Sunday mornings at nine o'clock and on 11 o'clock. This is not talking about all Christian experience for your whole life. If you are in a discipleship group with someone else who is a follower of Jesus, and the two or three or four of you want to pray in tongues together, you're more than welcome to pray in tongues together. That's not wrong. That's not bad. Even if no one's there to interpret, it's okay. You're all Christians. That's not Paul's concern. We'll get to why he restricts that on a Sunday morning context in just a minute. But remember, this is just for the gathered church. And I would actually encourage you that it's hard to know if you have the gift of interpretation if you never hear anyone around you praying in tongues, right? So other Christians, it's okay to pray in tongues around other Christians. As long as there's not an unbeliever or an outsider around, it's free game. But on Sunday mornings, in this context, you have to have an interpreter. We have people in our church that have this gift, but you have to have an interpreter or else you can't do it, okay? This is the parameters that God has put in place. All right, number four, maybe most importantly, I desire this gift, so what do I do? What if you're here today and you would say, man, I I actually want God the Spirit to give me this gift. What do I do? Well, the first thing I would say is this. You don't have to be afraid. 
You don't have to be afraid. From, from time to time growing up, I would hear people talk about the dangers of counterfeit tongues. And they would say something like this, like, well, you just got to be really careful because, yeah, maybe the gift of tongues that you have, but maybe you're opening yourself up to the demonic and maybe you're praying demonic stuff and you don't even know what you're saying. Maybe you're like cursing Jesus and the demonic and all these horrible things. Okay, that logic is so backwards and bad. It's almost unbelievable. Let me just tell you this. Like, Paul's dealing with pagans who had just become Christians, but were still going to temples, pagan temples to sacrifice to pagan deities. They were literally worshiping demons. They were performing sex acts in the pagan temples to the worship of demons and then showing up at church on Sunday. They were like steeped in all these crazy demonic stuff and never one time does Paul give a warning about counterfeit tongues or opening yourself up to the demonic or hey, you gotta be really careful. That's, that does not sound like Paul's tone whatsoever and it's not anything that you'll find in scripture. So you don't have to be afraid. In fact, I would just say this. If you're someone who desires this gift, you have a father in heaven who loves you and you need to remember these words from Jesus. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you're like, God, I want the gift of tongues, God's not gonna be like, ha ha, tricked you, here's a demonic spirit instead. Like that's not the heart of your father. It's not the way that he works. In addition to that, you don't have to prime the pump. You don't have to prime the pump. You don't have to say banana backwards five times fast. You don't have to say, I bought a Kia, but I should have bought a Honda five times fast. You don't have to have someone put their finger in your mouth and do this to your lips. You don't have to do any of that weird stuff. It's the Holy Spirit who gives utterance, not anyone else. It's the Holy Spirit. So don't prime the pump. In addition to that, I would say persevere in prayer. On a practical level, to earnestly desire the gifts might functionally look like you asking for this gift more than one time, more than five times more than 50 times. What does earnestly desire mean to you? It means something beyond just like, well, I you know, sort of wanted it and it didn't work out, so I don't want it anymore. Earnestly desire it. What does it look like to carve out extended times of worship and prayer? That's the next thing I would encourage you to do is like if you don't have regular rhythms of devoting yourself to longer times of worship and longer times of prayer, then I think this is a gift that you might not get. This is a gift that often happens in that type of context where you're actually carving out space to just be with God and seeing what God might do. And in addition to that, the last thing I would say is pray out in faith. If you're in one of those moments where it's you and you're, you're praying, it's extended, you're, you're, you're asking God to move, and all of a sudden you have these words well up inside of you that you don't know what they mean, or they don't make any sense to you, or you're not even sure what language it is, or if it is a language, my encouragement to you would be to step out in faith and pray, and just see what happens. Sam Storm says this, he says, simply wait upon the Lord, and speak forth the words that he brings to mind, no matter how incoherent or silly they may sound. They are sweet music to your father's ears. I think a lot of people, when it comes to this gift, are waiting to be hit by lightning. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, I won't have the gift of tongues until it ecstatically falls on me and I fall to the ground convulsing and I'm now shouting out in this language I don't understand. That's not the way the gift works. It's not ecstatic. It's not out of control. Paul tells you, if you have the gift... Pray in tongues, but if there's not an interpreter, don't. He says, stop praying in tongues and just pray silently to yourself 
and to God. So, so we have full control over this gift. And I think one of the, 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 the barriers or the edges of growth for you, if you're wanting this gift, is that some of us are just waiting to receive this gift. And I would encourage you to like, when you feel those words that you're like, I don't know what that means, reach out in faith and pray. And if you do that and you're like, that was totally weird and totally unhelpful, and I don't even think I love the Lord more at all, well, then you don't have the gift of tongues and don't worry about it, right? But if you do that and you're like, gosh, like God met me in a powerful way and it was like I was communing directly with him and it was so edifying and encouraging, that's the gift of tongues, right? That's how the gift of tongues works. All right, fifth and finally, I'll close with this. What should the posture of our church be? What should the posture of our church be? There are two verses that I wanna draw your attention to, verse 12 and verse 20. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And verse 20, brothers, brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. I want to invite you out of immaturity into maturity. And what I mean is this, that the immature person is self-consumed. All eyes are on themselves. They're most concerned with their own personal experiences, with performing, with consuming, with taking, with being the center of attention. And that type of mentality is really busted and unhelpful in the context of the church. That what we need is not immature people in the church, but we need mature people. Mature people think of others more than themselves. They are concerned how to operate and what they do in love. And I love this article that Samuel James wrote in Mere Orthodoxy called, Does Maturity Still Matter? He says this, notice, he says, the internet is a unique vehicle for the kind of endless self-consciousness that's a hallmark of adolescence. It is extraordinarily difficult to engage in digital idea exchange without looking at oneself through a clout mirror, constantly wondering how this phrase will be received or how that post will strike others. Now notice this. This is so breathtaking. He says, like a Zoom call where despite the presence of other faces, your eyes are inevitably drawn to fixate on your own square, looking at the group while never looking away from yourself Social media reinforces an anxiety that translates as immaturity. Do you know that moment on a Zoom call where you're looking at your own stupid photo while also sort of looking at everybody else's photo? If that's your posture of how you walk into the gathered church, it's immature. It's unhelpful. It's, it's actually self-absorbed. What we are to do as followers of Jesus, as brothers and sisters, is to grow up into maturity where we're not walking in thinking, what do I want? What's good for me? What's beneficial to me? What, how can I consume? How can I experience? How can I express my gift? How can I? That's not what this is for. Remember, chapter 13 is the love chapter for the church that we do what we do with the gifts from a posture of maturity and love. Amen? And the last thing is I want you to step away from bad weird and resist bad weird, but learn to embrace the good weird. There's bad weird and there's good weird, right? Like here's the good weird, the virgin birth of Jesus. I don't understand that, but somehow Mary got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Pretty weird. The incarnation, super weird. The uncreated creator of all things was put together in his mother's womb. God learned to walk God went through puberty. It's weird, right? 
Uh, the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus literally died physically. His heart stopped beating, his brain turned off. And yet on the third day, he rose again from the dead. His brainstem turned back on. His heart started beating again. He has blood currently right now as I'm talking, pumping through his, his veins like he's alive. That's weird, right? The teachings of Jesus are weird, man. The, the, the historic Christian sex ethic is weird. It's not even weird to our culture. It's heresy. That sex is between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. That's cultural heresy and weird. The fact that God made humans not just as generic humans, but he actually made us male and female. Our teaching on sex and gender, and I don't mean our, I mean the Bible's teaching on sex and gender is weird, man, and it's cultural heresy. To say that is wrong in our day, and here's the thing about spiritual gifts. They're super weird. Tongues is super weird, but it's the good weird, isn't it? It's the good weird, and I just want to invite you, stop trying to rescue God's image on all this stuff. God is not concerned with his image. God is not like up in heaven worried about his PR. He, he's never done anything or said anything that he is embarrassed of. It's immature and silly for us to be embarrassed embarrassed on his behalf. He gave the gift of tongues to the church. Stop being embarrassed about it. Let's be a church that embraces the good weird, right? But there's bad weird too. There's bad weird too. And Paul talks about that in verse 23. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Yes, they will. And that's bad weird. Paul is concerned with unbelievers and outsiders hearing things in a way that's coherent and makes sense. So let's be a church that resists the bad weird, but embraces and receives the good weird. And do you know what happens when we do that? Do you know what happens when frontline church becomes more mature and we actually are fighting for the good weird, but rejecting the bad weird? Is that we create something that is not safe anymore because you can't control it, but it's profoundly powerful and beautiful. And we live in a culture that is obsessed with safety. Safety this, safety that. Safetyism is like killing us as a culture. And I am, I, I am like up to here with hearing it about like safe spaces. Like what we mean is don't say anything that offends me because it's not a safe space. Here's what's crazy about the church. Here's what's crazy about the church. When we fight for love and maturity and we embrace the good weird but reject the bad weird, we create a place where it's not controllable. It's not safe, but it is good. It is good. It's a place where God wants to dwell and be around and pour out gifts and draw people's hearts to himself. Amen? Amen. All right, would you stand with me? Here's the, 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 the best good weird of all. The best good weird of all is that God would love people like us. That God would love people like us. Have you like, thought about your life over the last few weeks? thought about your brokenness, thought about your struggles, thought about your sins, thought about the ways you give into temptation, the ways you blow it. And yet, and yet, all, all of that's true, but here's the truest true. God loved you so much that he literally sent the son. The son loved you so much that he literally had his body broken for you, his blood shed for you so that you could be adopted, known, forgiven, loved. And he could have stopped there. Like, all right, I forgive you, and now I don't want anything else to do with you. But he brings us into the church, he gives us a family, and he gives us spiritual gifts. It's unbelievable gener generous of him to do. So I just want you to do this. If you're a follower of Jesus, receive this meal today, the bread, the cup, and just remember the generosity of your God who loved you when you were dead in sin, made you alive, gave you 
everything, all new life, new identity, and, and is continually giving more things to you today, giving you gifts, giving you strength to, to live this Christian life, giving you grace when you need it, giving you compassion in your suffering. He's good and he's for you and he wants to pour out generously on you today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we love you. We're honored by your presence. We don't want to ever do anything to make you feel embarrassed uh, or weird. We're gonna ask you to not take this meal, um, not to embarrass you, but just because this is a faith meal. This is a meal for people who have placed their faith in Jesus. If that's not your story yet, then you're, you're always welcome here. We're just gonna ask you to not take this meal. So followers of Jesus, when you're ready, come and receive the body and blood of Jesus on your behalf.